Welcome to Beyond Synth. Please note, Beyond Synth is an explicit program and may contain inappropriate language. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to the show. My name is Andy Last, and you are listening to Beyond Synth. This is episode 79, and my guest today is Rick Shithouse. And uh, you should know who Rick is, because he's the guy who founded Synthetics FM, or more accurately, Synthetics.FM, which is a blog uh, focused on synthwave stuff. And of course, he was, uh, he was doing this a long time ago, before I started the podcast. And in fact, it was uh, because of Synthetics and, of course, the Synthetics Facebook group that I ended up meeting a lot of the people who were my first guests on the show. You know, I basically approached Ogre, as you know, for episode one, and then I met Hoo-Ha, Mike Mendoza, and then he said, hey, you should check out Synthetics because there's a whole bunch of people on there who, uh, you know, make this kind of music and who are chatting with each other and stuff. And so then I, I joined, and that's how I met a lot of people, and that's how this whole thing spread. Spring rolled, spring rolled, springboarded into action, spring rolled. <laughs> this whole thing spring rolled into action like a good Chinese meal, or uh, I guess it's not a real Chinese meal. Do real Chinese people eat spring rolls, or is that like North American Chinese food? How it's not real Chinese food, you know, it's all like deep fried chicken and rice and stuff. Anyway, the bottom line is this. Uh, Rick has been one of those people who, you know, people have wanted me to have on the show since it started, and the dude likes to talk, and uh, you can also hear him uh, weekly. He has a little segment on Synthetic Sundays, the show we do not talk about here. I like to pretend that Synthetic Sundays is somehow my competition, and that's hosted by Mark O'Merrick, and it's Australian, and Rick is Australian as well. That's all completely irrelevant, by the way, I'm just letting you know. So it's finally happened, Rick is finally on the show, and in fact, uh, he talks so much, uh, he's just like me, man, you know, when we sit there and just blather on like fools that this is also another two-part episode which is weird i've had like a bunch of two-part episodes but i never planned on having two two-parters in a row it just worked out that way so anyways that's the bottom line so today rick shithouse tomorrow the world i don't (laughs) i need a damn script anyways let's listen to some music and we'll get to some business. This is a cool track. This is by Sleep Sin, and it's called Featherweight 1980-4210. I thought, I was like, is this actually part of the title, or am I just seeing, like, uh, the file name? But no, that's how it is on all the platforms, the SoundCloud, YouTube, uh, everywhere. This track is called Featherweight 1980-4210. Oh, 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 
that was Featherweight, 1980-4210, by Sleep Sin, L-S-E-E-P-S-I-N, one word, and that's a cool track, I dig it. So let's uh, let's get to some business here, uh, of course we've got the Magic Sword competition still going, I need to apologize, because uh, last week's episode was delayed, as you uh, may have noticed there was a gap of a week in between uh, Pilot Priest Part 1 and Part 2, uh, because we were having some technical difficulties at Power 85, and so Part 2 didn't play on time, which means that some of the dates for the Magic Sword competition were already done. So we still have a few dates. Uh, they're still playing live shows until the 29th of October. So let's go ahead and do the Magic Sword sweepstakes. So what this is, I'm going to list off the remaining Magic Sword dates as of today. And if you want to go to one of these shows, you can get put on the guest list and check out Magic Sword. But anyways, on the 22nd, uh, they will be in Los Angeles, California at Complex. On the 23rd, San Francisco, California at The Makeout Room. October 26th in Seattle, Washington at Chop Suey. October 27th, Portland, Oregon at Days of the Dead Fest with The Orb. And October 29th, Hood River, Oregon at River City Saloon. So if you want to check out Magic Sword on any one of those dates, just send me a private message uh, to the Twitter, to the Facebook page, to the SoundCloud, and just let me know. And uh, and I'll draw your name out of a hat. So we've already had some winners, and I've got them, uh, once they've gone to those shows, to record a special report for me about their time at the show, and I'm going to play those when the contest is over. So yeah, that's the bottom line, man. You want to go see Magic Sword? Uh, write me a message and say, I would like to go see Magic Sword, and make sure you let me know the date of the show that you want to see. And uh, we'll listen to another song in just a sec, but just to remind you that Beyond Synth is brought to you by downtojam.com. It's a free website that helps musicians around the world connect based on musical compatibility. Uh, If you're a musician looking for a partner to jam with or to fill a spot in your band, you're going to want to check out this site and sign up, downtojam.com, D-O-W-N-T-O-J-A-M.com. It's a cool way to meet other musicians and... And connect based on musical compatibility. In fact, if you're a musician looking for a partner to jam with... (laughs) Sorry, I was going to read the whole thing again. As a joke, because I'm a funny guy. Anyways, listen. Let's listen to another song. This is by... And I still don't even know how to pronounce these guys' names. I know I say these guys, but they're girls. I say guys in the sense... You know how some people say guys, but they don't really attach a sex to it? You know, like I can just say, hey, those guys over there, but they could be a crowd of girls, but I say the word guys, but maybe that's weird for some people. I mean, that's just the way I use the word. I just go, you know, those guys, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a sexless term. Anyway, this is... <laughs> I don't deserve to host a show. This is by Minims. I've never said it out loud. M-N-Y-N-M-S. Minims. You know, it's like when people have a word and they take the, the vowels out because it looks like minimums, but they've taken the vowels out. So I don't know if they want it said minimums or if they want to say minims. Minims? <laughs> Anyways, it's some cool cats that make some cool music. This track is called Beset.
was beset by minims <laughs> i apologize guys if you want your name said differently write me a letter and say andy you stupid son of a bitch that's not how we say our name you idiot and i'll and i'll make a correction next week because i'm a i'm a very scientifically minded guy all right when new information comes into my ears i will change my opinion to adapt to the new facts okay right now all I know is it looks like minims, okay? But if you write me a letter and say, no, it's actually pronounced minumes or something, I would... <laughs> In fact, I hope it's pronounced minumes. I'm updating my theory now, so it is minumes until further notice. Anyways, let's do some stuff here. Let's go to... <laughs> actually, I've got one quick junk email. Let's read this.
right, normally the junk emails I read are all uh, you know Nigerian banking scams and stuff. However, this was a fun one. Good evening. Hope all is well. How's things? I'm very safe woman and looking delectable man. <laughs> Hope you want to date me. Reply me. I can send you my photo attached. Have a good day. And that was, uh, she didn't say what her name was. I'm assuming it was a girl. But the point is that she was looking delectable man. So I don't know if that means she's looking for a delectable man and that I'm the man, or that she's telling me that I'm looking delectable man, because uh, obviously the, the punctuation in this thing wasn't too great. So I don't know what way to take it. Either way, though, it's uh, it's very exciting stuff, and I'm definitely going to reply to this person, even though they didn't give me a name, and I have since deleted the email. And if you like that junk email uh jingle just now, I should remind all you guys that Hoo-Ha does all the jingles for Beyond Synth. So even though the theme song is done by Ogre, all the jingles whenever they're singing and stuff, that's Hoo-Ha, and he does a great job. I really enjoy his jingles and happy that he has written them for the show. Of course, you can always follow uh, me on Twitter. I'm at Andy Last. Uh, you can follow the Facebook. is facebook.com slash beyond.synth.podcast. And by follow, I mean, you know, like it. And also the SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash beyond hyphen synth. And, of course, uh, we broadcast this show 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time Thursday nights on power85.com, which is a, a 24-hour-a-day streaming uh, synthwave music thing. And it's, uh, it's real cool, man. And if you're on SoundCloud, uh, please like and, you know, comment on the episode. So if you're listening to there on SoundCloud, I like to see people interacting with the shows and stuff. So if, uh, you know, you want to be one of those pedantic internet nerds and correct me whenever I say something wrong, go ahead and do it. I just like to know that uh, people are paying attention. So how about this? Let's listen to another song, and then we'll do the Patreon, and then we'll talk to Rick Shithouse, part one. And yes, it's Rick Shithouse. If you don't know who he is, you're going to be like, why the fuck is he keep saying shithouse? <laughs> and uh, I often wonder that myself. So here is a cool song. This is by Sung, and it is called Autoran. Thank you. 
And that was Otto Ran by Sung. And Sung is a talented dude. You should check out uh, that stuff. I think that was from a new uh, little EP that he released very recently, I think a few weeks ago. Anyways, let's go to the Patreon. So, uh, y- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So you guys know what Patreon is, right? It's like a donation thing where you can donate money to the show and help out. Uh, every little bit counts. Uh, you can donate as little as a dollar a month, uh, up to the preferred donation of, uh, you know, $10,000 a month, which really helps, uh, you know, because we have to rent this uh, radio studio space and it costs $600 a minute is the story I'm going to tell this time. But seriously, though, like even like the smallest donations, it does help out because there's lots of fees associated with the show, right? Like the SoundCloud subscription and, you know, like stuff like that. And uh, there's some other services that I want to start using that are going to improve the quality of uh, the interviews recorded and stuff like that. And all this shit costs money, damn it. But anyway, that's... (laughs) I've never pleaded like this before. (laughs) The point is, if you like the show, feel free to donate like these cool people. So I'd like to thank uh, my lovely donors. There's Power85 and Brendan Kellum, Lucas C., Rivonia, Kai, Lunar Baboon, Knox Bello, Terrence Thompson, Nathan Winter, Russ Nyes, Paul, again, listen, dude, we're talking like three weeks in a row here and I have not been corrected yet. Is it Paul Lopes or Paul Lopez? I have not landed on a decision yet, so please let me know. Okay, this is a new one, and I do not know how to say this. Seich? Seich? S-I-E-T-C-H. Thanks for donating, dude. I'm going to say it is Seich? Or is it like Seitk? (laughs) Why do all you people donate with such crazy names? (laughs) Anyways, let me know how you pronounce it, and I will say it correctly the next time. And of course, Zikorax and Tomas. And, uh, oh, this is new. Martin, oh, another crazy name. <laughs> Martin Sig- Sigoraga. Sigoraga? Martin Sigoraga. All right, Martin. Guess what? You are now on the list of donators who needs to write to me and tell me how to pronounce your name. Believe me, I appreciate you people donating. It means a lot to me, and I don't want to butcher your names, because that seems like a dick move on my part. It's not a power play at all. I really don't know. So, uh, Martin, write me and let me know how you say your name, and I will say it correctly. And, of course, Python Blue and Eric Valerio and my lovely $5 Pattersons. Uh, These guys donate 5 bucks a month because they're super cool. There's Joe and Lando, podcast hosts in their own right. There's Florence Bullock, Roman, X-Riz Music, Sebastian S.W., Philip Huberger, Devious Raven, Bobby B., John Eternal, Will Lowe, Dougie Fresh, Mitchell Carswell, Girls with Tails, and Hellroy with his lovely $6.66 donation. I like to point that out every time because it's ridiculous. (laughs) 
the number of Satan. And of course, actually, I should point out as well that Girls with Tails also has a unique amount. It's 567. Again, it's like 567. You get it? So it's that's cool too, man. Hey, I like these random numbers. At least I can read those. And there's my lovely $10 donors. There's Jake Last, Trevor Resnick, The Fear Merchant, Colin Bennett, and of course, the King of the Pattersons, Scotty Galden. And uh, thank you guys very much for donating. The $10 donation people, uh, I make videos for them. So if you donate 10 bucks a month for a few months, then I will uh, make a special video. Thank you. I've uh, made one for Jake last. I made one for Trevor Resnick. I don't even think the guy's seen it, but it's up there. And of course, if you donate, I will make one for you too, because I'm a cool guy. I have to keep insisting that because it's not true. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to the show. Thank you guys for donating to the Patreon. It means a lot. Every little bit helps. And uh, that's all I know. And now, speaking of the show you've donated to, let's now return to it and go to my conversation with Synthetics FM founder, Rick Shithouse. I am here today with Synthetics Rick Shithouse himself. Rick Shithouse. Good evening, Andy. Oh, afternoon, actually. It's only half past 12 here. Well, it's 10.30 p.m. here, so there's a, a wacky time difference. It's a good evening somewhere. How's it going? It's going pretty good. I, I contracted this stupid cold crush last Friday, and it's been annoying me all week. It's one of those colds that's not actually a, an illness that you could get away with taking days off work or anything, but it's just a constant annoyance, and it fucks up your sleep patterns and everything else. So that's not been pleasant. My work is talking. I talk for a living, pretty much, and when you have any kind of cold throat thing, it, it's, it becomes very cumbersome. So, so my week's been pretty good apart from that. <laughs> so, is this the first time we've ever talked? Uh, I think possibly in this in this medium, at least. What's confusing me is I think one time I got you to send me an audio clip of your voice. Yes, we did that, and that was a very um, what was that a very de facto style relationship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's good to, to finally talk to you though, because it's uh, I've been doing this show for a little over three years now and obviously synthetics uh, was around mm. that's how uh, you know when i first got into the scene i uh, you know i got in through perturbator then i had ogre i interviewed and then when i met mike mendoza he's the one who said you should check out synthetics and i'm like what the fuck is synthetics you know don't worry everyone's still saying what the fuck is synthetics well, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, essentially you are the guy who uh, who created synthetics indeed indeed the blog and and the facebook and stuff, which has uh, grown quite substantially in numbers since I joined, uh, you know, over three years ago, because I think it was, I don't even think it was in the thousands then. I think it was like 400 or 600 or something. Yeah, it, was, it stuck around at a really kind of below thousand level for a while, and then it just snowballed effect, I guess. it's. Uh, it, it, we still get lots of people joining the group, but, you know, I look at these people when I'm adding them, and I'm like, what the fuck are you joining for? And I'm like, no, I shouldn't second guess. You're here? You, you want to join? That's wonderful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Still get a lot of producers and everything joining, which is wonderful, but it's, uh, yeah, it definitely snowballed very quickly. It seemed to jump from a thousand to like three thousand in a couple of months. So let's get to get to the bottom of this here. Uh, shit house. Yes. What's uh, what's the deal with shit house? <laughs> okay. Uh, in the early 
2000s, I had some idiot friends into, um, like, you know, backyard wrestling was really popular in the early 2000s with that, <laughs> you know, that jackass bullshit and everything. Mm-hmm. And, and a couple of my friends were taking this shit seriously and they're actually booking events and trying to start up, like, their own little professional wrestling, like, alliance and shit. It was very entertaining. And I got thinking, I thought, I should do something. I thought, I could, I could be a pro wrestler. I'm, you know, I'm big enough and imposing enough and everything else. And I thought, what name would I use? And I thought, oh, Rick, Rick Shithouse, that would be the best name ever. Because, <laughs> you know, this is, this is an old analogy that, you know, the whole built like a brick shithouse. Right. That's, that's where the whole thing comes from. It's like, you know, that's a, a common analogy for people of large size. It's like, you know, they're built like a brick shithouse. It's a very, probably Australian thing more than anything else. And I just took the B off. And I'm like, Rick Shithouse, that's, that's phenomenal. I'm going to use that as my professionally name, even though I never actually did anything <laughs> with that because, of course, it <laughs> failed in about six months. And I kept that in the back burner. I'm like, right, whenever I need to have an internet persona that I'm going to use, that'll be it. And sure enough, when Synthetics came along, it's like, right, Rick Shithouse is coming out of the closet. This is it. Well, not necessarily out of the closet, but coming out of cold storage. <laughs> so this all stems from backyard wrestling. Well, it's amazing where one's <laughs> muses and influences can come from. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. But it is something that I, I, whenever there's a creative aspect that, you know, kind of gets me thinking about stuff, I always write shit down to make sure that if it's useful later on, I've got a record of it, because um, I do go through many, many ideas in a day's time. So uh, when this stuff crops up, it's like, you know, it was, it was literally like seven or eight years later before, you know, Rick Shithouse became useful again. So yeah, yeah. So yeah it was it was good, because Rick Shithouse is far more entertaining than Rick Thorpe, even though he's everyone's favorite private detective. Now, is Rick Thorpe your actual name? Well, not technically, but that's good enough. So then where the hell does Rick Thorpe come from? That's my actual last name, but Rick's what I go by. That's my... But you look at my birth certificate and that's not on there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) This is my my favorite part of the synthwave scene, I'll tell you. First of all, I can't keep track. So there's people's real names, then there's their name on Facebook, then there's their artist name, then there's their, you know, Twitter handle, their SoundCloud thing, and I can't remember any of it. And oh God, yes. I just love when there's even that extra layer of when a person's Facebook name isn't actually their real name, and then I have to learn, like, a whole other thing. And Oh, it's ridiculous. And I can talk to people for years. <laughs> like, I just discovered... Well, I'll cut this out of the show, but a certain artist's uh, his name I've been calling him for years turns out isn't his actual name. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I, I, met, I met Robert Parker. Robert Parker's been in my house, and his name isn't Robert fucking Parker. <laughs> <laughs> Now, most of the time, it's some weird variation. It's like, oh, it's actually, you know, their middle name is their last name or something, you know. Uh, yes. But yeah. uh, it's it's hilarious to me, especially whenever I find out, because sometimes it generally surprises me where I'm just like, you telling me for fucking three years I've been calling you this and that's not even your name? Like, fuck you. Oh, indeed. No, it still, it still happens to me, too. Absolutely. You just get used to calling them that name, and it's like, yeah, I'm sure they're laughing away in the background. It's, it's, it's definitely a, uh, the more, that whole professional mystique that people try and have. I think I think there's a wonderfully endearing charm to that when it's a lot of these Eastern European synthwave acts and they choose really boring Western names. Right. Because they don't want to be, you know, um, Slobodan Mirkovic or something like yeah. this on synthwave. They call themselves like Burt Lancaster or some other mixture of Hollywood names or something. Yeah, yeah. It's just hilarious. I love it. I think that's, I think that's very, very endearing. I think that's lovely. Yeah, no, it's awesome. <laughs> well, listen, Let's uh, let's listen to a track and then we'll keep talking. So I just have a random playlist picked out. Very good. Here's a track. This is by Damocles. Oh, Damocles. And this is a track called uh, I Can See You. Mm-hmm. 
that was Damocles with the track I Can See You, which is a dancey track. And today I'm here with Rick Shithouse, and uh, we're just listening to some random tunes I picked out, and we're chatting for the first time, even though, you know, we've sort of been hovering around this for a while. Like, I think, I mean, even like in the first season, I'm just like, you should be on the show, and then scheduling Absolutely. goes weird. And Oh, the scheduling and shit's just really hard. And, you, you know, it's like anything like, I don't know, you can easily be taken on tangents, I think, far too much and like you know I've known people you know that are, you know producers on Facebook and it's like oh we should do something for synthetics you know and this is like four years ago and like oh yeah it'd be awesome and unless you really follow shit through you, you just go off on other tangents yes so it just happens definitely going on tangents is something that I'm very good at oh you're tangentially gifted absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to the genesis of synthetics then because you know when I came to the synthwave scene alright it was small but it was it existed, right? I mean, there was artists who have stuff out, you know, even before the movie Drive, but obviously Drive was a big factor in boosting it for people. But, you know, there's people who were around before then and, like, the fucking uh, Masters of the Universe comps and things. Absolutely. So, what was it that, first of all, attracted you to the genre? And then then why did you start Synthetics? Well, I was attracted to the genre because, of course, I'm an an old man. I'm, like, 44 or something this year. So, this is, you know, I love 80s stuff and I, I fell out of love with regular, you know, Whatever was being traipsed around as regular um, dance music, electronic music, uh, around the early 2000s. And I found the music, again, tangentially through uh, other things. And a lot of gateway bands like Daft Punk and Alan Brax and all that. And the good thing is that this, that 2007 to about 2008 period, when you know, a lot of the 80s inspired stuff was in um, electronic music charts, it was very kind of popular. Uh, the French house stuff had a lot of 80s sound to it. Uh, there was a lot of 80s influence kind of rising up for it that stage and a lot of the producers uh, that are still around today like you know, the Mitch Murders and that they were kind of releasing their first records as well and the, well, the worst thing is that this is what I kind of discovered about the internet um, like, I was really getting into this massively the you know MOTU2 comps and you know following like 30 blogs every day looking for what you know has come out because there'd be singles posted and it really was the um, the golden age of blogging you know those probably 2005 to 2010 it's, it's all been downhill since then but when people were posting a lot of tracks when there was a lot of genuine new content coming up that people would post and there would be this you know for every say 20 posts on some you know mainstream house stuff there'd be one post that had some 80s inspired track and I basically you know kept on following and following these blogs until I noticed that the 80s inspired stuff was starting to just drop off slowly slowly less and less and less and then I hooked up with Binary um, Music the the reasonably big music site still I believe they're very revered and I was chatting to um, I think it was Josh from Binary through Facebook Facebook was. And so it's through um, message, that's right, because on this site they said, uh, we're looking for writers, we're looking for contributors. So I wrote and said, look, I'm really into this stuff, would you like me to write reviews of that for you? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely, this is, you know, this is great. So I ended up writing a couple of reviews for Binary. I've written reviews for, I've been writing crap on the internet forever, um, but this is the first <laughs> time I kind of did, did music with a purpose kind of thing. But this was a, a little kind of gateway period, I guess, where the music was just kind of dropping out of what the cool kids thought was cool anymore. And it was really going back 
kind of underground. You weren't getting the coverage on blogs. You weren't really seeing a lot of it get bigger. It got to the point where it was big and then it kind of got less. So you're like, okay, this is the ebb now. This is, it's already peaked. This is the ebb now. So that's where I started writing a bit for binary. Uh, and then, when was it? So it'll be a five-year anniversary next February for synthetics. So it was 2000 and what? What's that make it? 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to say this shit so often. I still, I'm so shit with dates. It's appalling. But then around the, like 2011, um, this is really when a lot of the 80s inspired stuff started disappearing entirely because that dubstep bullshit came in and just overtook everything. That's my impression. Yeah. <laughs> so it's accurate as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> and all this shit, all of a sudden, I'm seeing on all these blogs, it's like dubstep, dubstep, dubstep. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is, but I know it doesn't sound 80s. And I didn't like it. And so I basically thought, okay, if, if they're not covering this music anymore and it's still around, I want to make sure there's at least some home that I can try and give it um, because these blogs just obviously aren't interested anymore. And then there, there was this kind of perfect storm of creativity where I was in between projects. My dad died, so there was this sense of loss and rebirth and starting again. And, and literally, I started Synthetics the day after my father died. And I thought, I need a project. I want to have this as a positive thing to take out of the negative situation. And I just started it up. That was it. You just start it and you don't stop. Since it's, I mean, since it's started, I mean, now that you're saying you're doing this to have a home for these people and for this kind of music, but then it sort of became this place where artists began to grow. Yeah, that was a lovely side effect. Absolutely. So that was just something that just sort of happened and it was like, oh, this is kind of cool, right? Because people were coming to Synthetics, going to the Facebook page, and then it started to be like this place where, I mean, a lot of artists actually got their start mm. and really found their audience, you know, through Synthetics. Well, that was the that was the entire idea is that the, the Facebook group would be like kind of the, you know, the, the place that producers could hang out and, you know, like I say, do that like-minded people thing and network and everything. That was definitely the whole point of the Facebook group. So it, re- it united the fans and the producers in a way that I thought Facebook was kind of made for that kind of role, that kind of medium. So I figured that would be a really good, you know, use for the whole networking side of it. And I always wanted Synthetics to be the the actual site, to be the, okay, well, this is this is what's standing out. This is what's, you know, what I personally think I've, I'm really enjoying from what the scene's producing. So the whole grassroots kind of leveling interaction with the with the group was something that I really, really loved. And, you know, I, I feel very proud of what Synthetics accomplished with a lot of artists that are very, very big now. Uh, they wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Synthetics because they would have moved on and done other musical styles. And, and people have said that to me directly, which is lovely. Well, let's uh, listen to another track here and then we'll fucking keep talking. Uh, so this is a track by Juno Dreams and this is a track called Awaken.
And that was Juno Dreams and Awaken. And I'm here today with Rick Shithouse, the founder of Synthetics. And uh, we're chatting about music and uh, synthwave and all that stuff. And we're just talking about, you know, artists getting their start on Synthetics. How do you feel? And then this is sort of a, a thing that, that sometimes happens to groups. You know, there's these sort of these highs and lows. And I've, I've talked to other people about, you know, different web groups that they've been a part of. Mm. And sometimes there can be, you know, negative elements, let's say, that uh, crop up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> a, a polite way to put it. So how do you, how do you feel? Because, I mean, like, since synthetics is your thing, I mean, like, you start, I mean, obviously, maybe it's something that you created, but you can sort of step back from while people are having sort of silly discussions. But as the guy who made it, you know, when you see, you know, negative shit going on, how do you feel? Like, do you just sit there and go, like, ah, fuck them, like, let them do their thing? Or does it bug you? I mean, it doesn't bug me. In all honesty, like there's, you know, you got to remember there's like nearly six thousand five hundred members of Synthetics now, and it's still an open group. And this is something that I'm I'm immensely proud of with Synthetics. Most groups, once they get to about two thousand members, they go private. It's like we're locking this up. Where you know we don't want this shit, you know, being in the public space. Synthetics is public though; it is a public group. You don't have to be a member to look at any of the posts. It's all very much in the realm of anyone on Facebook. And I've I've literally had to ban two people in uh, out of 6,500 um, over the years. And this is more... Um, one of the guys was so awesome. I, it was so painful to get rid of him. He was so argumentative and just wonderful. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I encourage that shit. Like, I want people to ask questions about shit. I want people to say, your album, your new album shit compared to the last one, what happened? I want people to say, why don't you do this? You know, what happened to that? Uh, you know, asking questions and that. If you're going to be a part of a community, you have to have, you know, you've got to be able to cop the praise and the critiques just as easily. Mm. And if you are going to put yourself out there for having commentary put upon you, you know, having a conversation about it with people that are listening to the music, I think that can be very empowering and it's very encouraging when it's positive, but it's also encouraging if it's negative. And I really, I don't know, I don't see much negative stuff. I see the same old bullshit post. Well, Synthwave's dead, Synthwave's dead. Yeah. You know, oh, it's all the same <laughs> shit. It's awful. And I, I heard people saying that in 2012, for Christ's sakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have this wonderful line that I came up about the music, you know, I, I really bring out quite regularly, and that is just because the music doesn't matter to you anymore doesn't mean it matters to anyone else anymore. This is a personal view, not a, a group mentality based on what we're seeing produced. I've always felt too, especially with Synthwave, because it's such a nostalgic genre, that it really doesn't matter when you come to it. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter the age of the music, because it's all about this feeling that it evokes. So to me, you know, sometimes when there's people who are sort of clamoring for the new stuff or they're new to the scene but they're only listening to artists who just put music out and it's just like to me I'm like dude it doesn't matter if you just discovered whatever like look a set for the first time even though they you know haven't put out anything in years it's like yes. if it's new to you it's going to have the exact same effect that's right and it's going to be just as awesome that's right that legacy of the music is very important absolutely yeah and I, and I think also to the other point about sort of you know the negativity or whatever it's like I agree with everything you said what I found funny is there's this sort of contradiction that happens because I agree with you like you know negative comments if they're constructive 
Sometimes mm. people aren't constructive, but uh, but if it is constructive, <laughs> of course, it never. Yeah, <laughs> but of course, it, it can help. What I've always found funny that sometimes there's this contrast where people really sort of go after people once they become more successful. Oh, that's that, that's, that's that's such bullshit, and I've seen that a lot. And this is a problem of I think the community being ninety five percent people that make the music because I think there's a whole level of jealousy that people have developed. Yes, saying, "Well, they got it. Why didn't I?" What's hilarious to me about it is that this is sort of what happens in scenes where a scene becomes like a microcosm. Oh, absolutely. You see the real world and here's Justin Bieber with like 500 million views on like YouTube videos and stuff and of course he gets hate mm. because there's 500 million views. Like, absolutely. There's, there's going to be shit leveled at him. But then in the synthwave scene, it's a smaller scene. So what someone has to have to be a star in the synthwave scene, you know, it's not huge. Like when people look to artists like, you know, Perturbator and all these, you know, these types of artists. Yeah, he's making a living on his music, but he's not fucking driving a gold car. You know what I mean? Like, he's probably still living in a basement someplace. Yep. You know, he's making a living making music. Absolutely. And to the scene, that makes him a fucking target. And what always makes me laugh is just when someone will post, you know, their first track that they've made, and it's no good, but, you know, you'll have people... <laughs> Everyone's! They thought your first tracks are rubbish! <laughs> but then you'll have, you'll have, you know, these people that, you know, go to it and be like, oh, that's good work, good, good work, man. And then some yes. artist who's seasoned will release a good album. Maybe it's not as good as their last one, but it's still mm. good. And, you know, you have yeah. people like, ah, that was shit. That wasn't as good as the other one. Moments after complimenting someone's trash. Yeah, complete dichotomy. Absolutely. And the thing is, I understand both perspectives. Like, I understand, hey, this guy's new. Let's fucking give him some encouragement. But it's just so funny when it happens back to back. Oh, absolutely. Even that seasoned <laughs> artist's worst song is still, like, you know, leagues above... <laughs> <laughs> you know what this other person's posted? Absolutely. There's a whole, but there's a producing mentality that I'm really glad I don't understand. As a fan, I'm, you know, there's not many of us that don't fucking make music. There's so many producers that can't have joy for another producer's success. Mm. It's just awful. It's really awful. It's just, it's such a bad attitude to have, and it stifles creativity. It doesn't encourage your creativity whatsoever. You know, if I hear a track, like, you know, I go through my sound to think for quality time with shit ass every week or every two weeks every and I listen to you know someone posts a new track and it's a new producer and it might sound like shit as far as the mix goes or the engineering but if the melodies are there if the pieces of the song are there oh, I'm in love with it yes and then you get these producers like, oh, oh can you believe what the sound he's got on his percussion oh how did he let that yeah. out <laughs> it's like it gives a fucking shit only you care about this yeah you can find the magic because I've, I've got a lot of artists like that oh, absolutely. where I will listen and I'll be like you know what this fucking tune is awesome obviously when you hear a great mix and that's what elevates you know the artist to the status like when i listen to synthwave artists who i heard you know a few years ago and they've grown in a few years where they're actually producing i mean i, I don't say this to sound negative but like you hear the difference when you hear a, an album where when it's done you go that sounded like a professional album oh absolutely it is night and day and when you hear that it makes me feel so happy that i'm just like oh wow this person actually made like a fucking like a professional album that doesn't mean the other music wasn't good because I love a good melody Absolutely. and I can listen to chiptune music if it's got a fucking cool melody. Well, there we go. You're doing better than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
But it is exactly that attitude. This is where I... The technological side and the creative side are just at odds, I think, in a lot of people's heads. Mm -hmm. And the artistry and creativity is taking a back seat to the technology. Okay, people are going to get mad at me for saying this. Get them mad! Get them mad! Get them angry! But I I think that's because they're not musicians. Because what you're saying before about, you know, if you can feel good for another artist uh, who makes good stuff. I mean, for me as a person who, like, I make videos and stuff, when I see someone who is a peer of mine and they produce something that fucking blows me away, yep. that inspires me. Absolutely. I find it inspiring as a person who makes videos because I go, okay, fuck, I went to school with that guy and he just made yep. something that looks like a fucking like Hollywood demo. <laughs> I gotta fucking step up my shit. You gotta take the positivity out of this. Absolutely. And so when I see people who get mad at other people, sometimes I'm just sort of like, I don't, I don't know that you're a real artist. Like, I think you just got a demo of Fruity Loops and you watched a tutorial and said I can make a track but I don't feel the heart or the the passion that comes from being you know absolutely I think the average human being can write one great song one great novel maybe write one (laughs) great screenplay Uh maybe write one something but it's one it's just one good thing that you'll get once out of you and that is the end of what you can create and the true (laughs) artist evolves (laughs) and I I I see this all the time where people release one album and like that's it that's all they got that's all they had in the tank Mm -hmm. this is that whole differentiation between someone doing it for fun and someone doing it because it's a creative urge that's a passion and everything else yeah 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 and that's the differentiation here because with the technology it's a level playing field any monkey can go out and release whatever the hell they want these days but you gotta have the passion you gotta have the drive to do it consistently for your art to grow and of course turn into something that you know people respect and people adore and everything else I think people take the easy route way too much these days listen listen to these wise words from Rick Thorpe oh Shidas has got nothing but wise crap to give you <laughs> <laughs> listen we're gonna listen to another track and then we'll uh, we'll come back so this is Kid Cassio with Letters of Love Clovers Tongue and hands are tied again 
never saw the stop sign Must try harder next time Follow directions And that was Kid Cassio with the song Letters of Love. And uh, I think I'm going to have him back on the show in a few weeks for a catch-up. But right now, I am back here with Rick Shithouse. So we're just listening to some tunes and talking about true artistry. I guess there's, um, by your theory of, uh, you know, everyone's got one great, you know, stuff in them. I mean, there's a lot of Hollywood directors, too, that have made, you know, some of my favorite films. And they just never, Absolutely. never recaptured the magic. Same with the actors performances. Anyone that works hard can release one thing. You know that whole great American novel bullshit that's this kind of standard practice for anyone that retires or whatever? This is where that kind of stems from, is that literally anyone can write a good story once. Mm. You try and do that over ten books. You try and do that over a lifetime. You know, this is a very, very different kind of mentality. And I think everyone gets that one chance to do one thing, but whether they follow through on it and make it their passion and their drive, you know, this is hard work. You know, I think a lot of stuff can come pretty easily as a one-off thing. You know, I could probably go into some bullshit music program and come up with a melody and it probably would sound pretty reasonable, but, you know, I could probably do that once <laughs> and that's it. The thing about making electronic music is it's just so accessible. Oh, exactly. I mean, I know that's why a lot of people get into it because it's... It's a hobby. It, it's easy. I mean, it's not easy to make something awesome, but it is easy to, like, download a demo of Fruity Loops and 
throw together something. I mean, that is something anyone can do. It is something that is a double-edged sword, because in one hand, it makes every monkey and their dog able to release a synthwave album in 30 minutes. On the other hand, it gives the people that have the genuine talent and passion for it an easy avenue to manifest that passion yes. in music easily. True. I have, a, I have a funny question, because sometimes, you know, when I interview people, there's a phrase, and even if what they made was really good, this bugs me, and I don't know if it bugs you. It might not. It shouldn't really bug me. But I'm never impressed when someone tells me that they made the song really fast because that yeah, I don't comes know why up people a lot. Do that. Yeah, I think that's self-sabotaging uh, mentality. Where if it's shit, I can go back and say, "Well, I just threw it together." If it's good, I've then got this. Um, well, I did it really short time. Yeah. That is a very self-sabotaging kind of backup argument people use because they're not confident in what they've released. It's an interesting th- thought because it bothers me in a way at the same time i know what it's like to hold on to something too long mm. when you want to create something and you keep going back and refining and refining then there becomes this point where you should have probably released it a few iterations ago because now this thing is never going to be done on the flip side when somebody i tell somebody oh that song was really great and they're like yeah yeah i made that in about like half an hour and i'm kind of like oh, i get disappointed a bit because i don't i don't hear that and go oh you're some magical virtuoso i go oh you didn't really think too hard about this did you whenever i hear that i always think well imagine how fucking amazing this would have been if you put a few more hours in it <laughs> <laughs> and that happens where I'll hear a song and I'm like, this is great, but holy shit, it's just a little bit undercooked. And if it was put back in the oven for a few more hours, it would have come out way nicer. But, you know, that's how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> I got a question, actually, because I've, I've run into this this year. And you must have a fucking insane library of, of music. And my synthwave library is, it's pretty big. I mean, I'm looking mm-hmm. at maybe like three or four thousand songs now. Right. Which is a, a huge thing. And I, what I've had trouble doing is trying to find a logical way to organize like break it up into maybe a few playlists because I, I literally just have it in a playlist called Synthwave All right. and that's everything that's the fucking yes. the dark wave vocal tracks uh, cinematic everything so what do you do? Jesus Christ well my iTunes let me just have a look I know this is some ludicrous amount uh, my iTunes is up to 33,730 <laughs> songs so that's, that's like Synthwave? no that's everything okay 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 <laughs> and all my music is pretty well there's a lot of extreme metal in there as well but there's a lot it's, it's predominantly 80s and um, uh, 80s inspired synth stuff so because I do the radio shows and the mixtapes and stuff I have a filtering system using the star ratings on iTunes so if it's going in the mixtape it gets five stars if it's going on a radio show it gets three stars and therein lies my system <laughs> <laughs> so I can actually see all the stuff that's been put on mixtapes by doing the star rating I can see all the stuff that's been put on uh, a radio show or quality time or whatever uh, by doing that but I find that when you've got a an, an exorbitant amount of music to go through like I always arrange it by date modified and then I'll go back to certain periods of time and listen to say oh I want to listen to the stuff that came out in October 2012 uh, and then I'll go through and I'll listen to it in the same order that I found it and I find that fucking amazing to go through and all those blogs I was talking about in 2009 like my music collection on my Mac goes back to 2006 I think from the PC when I migrated across to the Mac so I can go back to 2006 essentially for when I downloaded 
download the file or rip the CD or whatever, and I can go in chronological order. So I've really got a, an incredible document of all the music that I've found in the last, you know, 10 years or so. So I love going back to periods of time and, you know, and listening to, like, you know, uh, around the, you know, 2010 period or so, you know, when there was a lot of great library stuff coming out last year, I can go to that and see all the stuff that I, you know, download and bought. And that does it for me because I think if you start ordering shit too much, it becomes way too, way too hard to deal with and it's giving yourself way too much file management to do consistently in the future. No, I agree with that. I've, I mean, I've been having a tough time because I've been basically just trying to come up with an ultimate list Good luck. of like my favorite tracks because there's so much stuff. Star ratings, that's the future. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's better than what... I mean, the system I was going to invent, which I haven't yet. I mean, basically, the only system I... I created a system this year, and all it basically is, is as far as the podcast goes, I just have like a 2016 folder. So I wasn't... Oh, there you go. So, oh, yes, I, so at least I could pull tracks that I got received this year. Yes. Which yes. is a step up from what I used to do, which was just the big list. When you're looking at iTunes, everyone fucking... Oh, these dickheads use iTunes. What the fuck is wrong with them? iTunes is the best shit ever when you've got a lot of music to deal with, seriously. The chronological aspect of iTunes, I wouldn't bother like making playlists for you because you can just set it to date modified and basically you'll see everything chronologically anyway. When I do like um, Soiree 80s uh, and Quality Time uh, and the mixtapes, every one of those gets their separate playlist as well that I've kept recorded. But when my hard drive died last year, I lost all of those playlists uh, previously. Didn't lose any tracks, but lost every playlist previous yes. to last year. That sucks. And that's assholery at its most evil. So this is something, again, that when you go through that loss of saying, well... I'm not going to invest in making a ton of playlists anymore just in case that happens in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it is something that is, you know, the the ordering in iTunes and being able to do it by date modified, I find to be the the most easily manageable. But I don't really go back. You know, when you listen to the, you know, when you're constantly listening to music to either critique or use or play in another aspect, like as a mixtape or as a radio show or whatever, you're constantly looking for new stuff and it's constantly building up. So when you get the chance to go back, it's pretty rare that I'll go back and listen to Synthwave, for example. I'll go back and more than likely go back to 2007 or something when I went on a Led Zeppelin binge or something and I can listen to all the Led Zeppelin stuff on my machine or I'll go back to when I got heavily into dub reggae in 2008 <laughs> or something and I'll go through all those tracks so you know there's a uh, when you've got a huge like kind of music library it, it does make it difficult to manage in small amounts but you've got to look at the big picture I think well speaking of uh Playlist. Let's uh, listen to a track from my playlist. <laughs> this is Condrath and the track Summer Sand.
And that was Condrath with a fun little number called Summer Sand. And I am back here with Rick Shithouse, man. We were talking about playlists and organization. Your plan sounds better than my plan, but essentially my plan was going to be, there's going to be a playlist for like vocal tracks and then one for cinematic right. synthwave and then just you know, general synth wave. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes when I when I hit, you know, if I'm listening to my giant synth wave playlist and I hit random, yep. and not to disparage any artist, but, you know, sometimes when I'm listening and I'm, like, getting the energy from, like, a bunch of, you know, like, vocal tracks and I'm video gaming or whatever, and then, like, this weird, slow, like, dark horror tune shows up. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so I got to figure it out because when I'm writing, then it's a lot easier to write to the more cinematic ambient style music if I'm writing. Absolutely. So that... that was going to be my plan but honestly like and I only have like I say like 4,000 tracks which is a lot I look at it and I get so overwhelmed with the idea of this is literally going to take me 7 days of 8am to 6pm just listening to tracks and going like because I can't listen to the whole fucking thing in the organization so I'm going to listen to like a little sample of it and then be like does this go on the fucking list or when I teach people I, I teach a lot of technology skills at work and when I teach people file management I always say to them look if you're going to make a system up, be aware that that week that you've predicted it's going to cost you to actually get your existing stuff into order is then a cross you shall bear for the rest of your life on your computer when arranging everything else you're going to get coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, you got to look at the workload and say, you know, this is this is not something I want to manage. And I don't know how many filing systems I've seen where it's like, yeah, I did that, went back through it. Oh, you now got to go back and get the last three years because that's when I did it last it's like yeah <laughs> that ain't working that ain't working <laughs> I'm thinking maybe the, the best way is just to like moving forward it sort of should be like in 2017 I'll start the system with all the tracks I get in 2017 and then slowly yeah, well, throw the I don't know well you got the content that you're creating as well so you know you, you can you know like I say the star rating system works great for me because it means that I can look at every single song chronologically that's ever been in a synthetics mixtape I can look at all the stuff that's happened with you know soiree 80s because that's got a different star rating grouping it all together and then viewing it chronologically you know it makes sense but you know if you're not creating content if you're like someone that just listens to the music at home or creates uh, and you just collect it and you don't have a purpose for it besides listening to yourself that's that's definitely going to work obviously so. <laughs> <laughs> because all my mixtapes and everything are all the stuff I love the most like that's what it's all about the stuff I choose in quality is the stuff I love the most uh, the stuff I choose in soiree 80s is the stuff I love the most so giving that, that star rating separates it from the stuff that you know, I don't love the most, but I still love. And I think having a couple of tiers of, like, you know, your favourites, then your most listened to, and then the also-rans, or then the more specific stuff you like to listen to in certain moods, mm. I think that could that probably work. But, yeah, start rating. Start ratings is the future. That's the most simplistic way of arranging stuff, I reckon. Are you, uh, like, an album guy or a track guy? Depends on the style. Massively depends on the style. I've found that with a lot of current synthwave debut release, um, I'm far more impressed by the singles on there because usually it's pieced together from a lot of different genres uh, and listening to the full album it's too disparate to actually get into and when I'm all for encouraging everyone to do as many different freaking genres as you like but when I'm listening to the album I'll probably cherry pick songs more than anything else Uh, but when it's something that's far more thematic and conceptual I love nothing more than the full album experience you know like a Dan Terminus or something like that where it's uh, you know a Tommy where it's you know 
really got to take it all in. This is the stuff that I really gravitate towards as an album. When it's more single-oriented or where it's more experimental or where it's been written as essentially a compilation of their last 12 songs, mm-hmm. I'll cherry-pick. So it's it's really different depending on the genres. I've always been sort of a track guy myself. Yeah, I love the singles more than... <laughs> this gets back to my theory, though, about people having being able to write one really good single, though, and then nothing able to pull it off in an yeah. album. <laughs> but it's fine. I think sometimes maybe people feel like there's some sort of shame in that. But if you create a thing that's awesome, like, you know, you'll see these shows on TV where they always sort of make fun of one hit wonders. Oh, Jesus you, but you, you had a hit. You know what I mean? Like, not everybody has a hit. You do it better than a lot of the other fuckers that are around. Absolutely. One hit wonders are my favorite 80s genres, to be quite honest. Like, the one hit wonders of the 80s are my favorite shit. Like, I'll watch a one. Like, you look through my 80s collection and 90% of it is like a tallow that wouldn't that released one track. Yeah. <laughs> the one hit wonder side of things is easily my favorite, like top 20. My top 20 tracks of the 80s would probably nearly all be one hit wonders. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a real decade where one hit wonders were, uh, you know, a staple of listening to music. And I think if you have that attitude towards people just being able to have one song and that's cool, I think that makes your love of synthwave a lot easier in many respects because you're not expecting them to release full albums that you'll fall in love with. And that's the thing. I mean, you know, when they do, when they do come along, it is sort of a special thing. But every year there's like maybe like four mm. that are like, oh, this is special. You know what I mean? Like they, they made an album and it's pretty cool. It gets into what you were saying though about cooking things too long as well and when to release things. And I think a lot of bedroom producers don't have the professional attitude of having people that tell them when things are done mm-hmm. and management to say the product needs to be up by this date and this is, you know, this is the pressure cooker kind of situation. I think with a lot of people when they release a really great album, sometimes it's not by mistake, but it just happens to be a phenomenal album and I've found that with some albums especially at least this year from established artists I haven't enjoyed them as much as their previous ones just because it seems to be that once you've released two or three albums you're kind of boxing yourself into what people expect of you mm-hmm. and you're no longer willing to take as many risks with your music and I found that that's starting to happen with a lot of the uh, more established synthwave guys that are really you know established now you know they have their own sound but it's not pushing any envelopes really I don't think it's a comfort zone thing. I'm more, I think it's more of a concern thing. It's like, holy shit, I got this popular by making this shit. I got to keep making this shit. Right. And that's not the attitude to have as an artist. That's not, that's making product. That's not making art. Right, um, right, right. So you, you've got to really have a, I think you've got to have that drive to create an album and to have, you know, the best albums I've ever heard are all conceptual. They're all based on overarching themes that are put together over the course of years. And when they come out, it is a special experience. And this is usually by comparison to the other experiences around that, instantly, you know, makes it more elevatory because it's something that, by comparison, it is a huge departure from what you've currently heard. No, I completely agree. Because Synthwave is this thing where sometimes I'm wondering if certain artists are going to evolve in the same direction as the music that inspires their music. So it's like you're in the 80s and then you slowly go like, let's let's start to move into the 90s, you know? Are we going to see some of these artists become industrial? There's already trends in that in numerous aspects of Dark um, Wave where it's really moving into industrial stuff. Mm. You're hearing a much more skinny puppy no, uh, Nine Inch Nails influence than anything in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Even though they released music in the 80s, but yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, 90s, <laughs> the 90s influence is definitely there in the darker stuff and the EBM cold wave shit of the late 80s is now crossing over a lot into the darker, more you know, essentially horror music, slash wave, all that kind of gear. Um, so that's really interesting. The progression, you know, is there and, you know, hey, this is more power to them. If they want to do it, that's cool. I might not like it, but hey, everyone else, there's going to be a huge market for that shit. And you're not 
writing music for me. You're writing it for yourself. That's the whole point. Speaking of music, let's listen to some more. This is Travel to Find Her by 7DD9.
And that was 7DD9 with the track Travel to Find Her off the Trip to Planet Madness LP. And I'm back here with Rick Shithouse. Uh, he uh, runs the Synthetics blog. He created Synthetics, this hub of synth wave, and brought a whole bunch of people together. And we're just chatting about music and stuff. We can also switch gears here and talk about some of the other stuff that we have in common. So I see you posting lots of pictures of uh, Lego things. Oh, yes. Yeah, Lego's one of those passions. Yeah. <laughs> I think my toy collecting in the last two or three years has just been fucking ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I'm a man of simple pleasures. If I get on um, something, I'm you know what I'm like with music? I'm like that with fucking everything in my life. I'll get passionate about something and I'll go mad trying to collect things <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> Sorry, just the way you said that. And I'll go mad! <laughs> <laughs> it becomes a madness. And I, I really got to rein it in sometimes with, you know, what I start collecting and what I get into. Ironically, when I got into Lego a couple of years ago, again, third, fourth time as an adult getting into Lego, I decided, right, I'm, I'm, I'm getting all the shit from the childhood I never had. Bang. In the space of four months, I got every single space set from 1977 to 1982. Nice. And that was fucking hard yards. That was... <laughs> I didn't do much else with my money for that period. I can tell now, you Now, wait. Much. Now, did you get the actual sets or did you get the pieces so that you could recreate the sets? Probably 95% of them were, yeah, original sets. I didn't make up much of them at all. There was a couple of bits where I had to do some bricklink orders for some parts, but 99% of it, 95% of it was uh, all original models bought from original owners. Yeah, yeah. I did, uh, a few years ago, I did this insane Lego purchase, because I love Lego, but I'm less of a follow the instructions guy, and more just, I just like having a big pile of Lego. Yes, yes. But I did, as a fun experiment, I went online and downloaded some PDFs, and since I've got, I have a large amount of Lego and uh, I downloaded the Millennium Falcon uh, instructions and what I did is I built it even though I didn't have all the pieces I'm going to post a picture on Facebook so I essentially like you know where I could I used the same pieces but where I couldn't I would like substitute a piece oh very nice which of course meant every so often you find out oh the reason that they wanted you to do that piece is because 10 steps down the road (laughs) there's something that incorporates so then I would have to like every time I'd build after about like 10 stages I'd be like have to rip a piece off and then replace with another piece to, for the piece that I compensated or whatever. Oh, that's part of the journey, though. Part but of the that journey. was fun, and I actually had a lot of fun doing that. Mm, I can see that being yeah, and that's uh, you know you saved yourself about four hundred US probably as yeah, well. Yeah, the thing that pissed me off, <laughs> this fucking drove me nuts because so a few years ago there was some dude who was on you know Craigslist or whatever who was selling an insane amount of Lego. It's Craigslist. It's Craig. It's not fucking Craig. You're oh, sorry, <laughs> Craig. Anyway. So anyway, technically, it actually wasn't Craigslist. I was using that as an example because I don't think you have Kijiji in Australia. (laughs) No. So anyways, it was Kijiji, all right? (laughs) It wasn't Craigslist at all. So this dude was selling it in bags, right? You know, it was like 10 bucks for each, like, giant sandwich bag full of Lego. So I made the guy an offer because I saw how many things he had. And I'm just like, dude, and again, I don't mean to sound like a high roller. Like, this was an insane thing for me to do because I didn't have money. Mm -hmm. And it was... Five garbage bags full of Lego. Jesus Christ, that's investment right there. It was 110 pounds or something. So Jesus Christ, yeah, that's good. So when I talk about liking Lego, and I'll tell people, and they'll be like, oh, I've got some Lego you can have. I've got like a bucket at home. And I'm like, okay, when you say bucket, what do you mean? Because when I say bucket, I mean a big fucking Tupperware container that holds like, you know, like 20 pounds or whatever. And like, they're always re- <laughs> they're always referring to like a, like a one liter thing of ice cream that's got a few Lego exactly. pieces. 
pieces in it. It's like fucking amateur hour. Seriously, yeah. what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also like a like a Lego Nazi too. So if I go to like yes. someone's yard sale and I'm fucking weeding through their Lego and I'm just like, there's oh I got lots of Lego. It's two dollars a bag. I'm like this shit is fucking Tonka. Oh, unacceptable. Like what the fuck are you doing, man? It's like this low grade fucking Lego ripoff from the '80s. Like I'm not buying this shit. Exactly. People have no quality control in their lives sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with Lego like it is it's so consuming there's so many possibilities and I don't know when I go back to a lot of the stuff that I've made like I also made the whole entire town sequence uh-huh. um, all the town sets from 1980 1978 to 1982 as well so and this is literally like three and a half foot square of just all the town models and all the vehicles and everything and that was a lot of fun but there's this Lego ideas book that came out in the 70s that I was enamoured with as a child mm. that had all these like made up models but they weren't from sets it's like well you buy all the basic stuff and then you can make this stuff well if you're intelligent enough to work out how to build something from step A to step 100 with about 12 of them actually documented <laughs> you know they did so many great models in this and I, I embarked on creating a couple of models from that and that was good because it was a lot of create. you had to do a lot of creativity to try and invent or try and work out from the three pictures you get you know how many studs back it was and what yep. the width was and everything else it was a, a, a cinema or a theatre that was in this and I made it like brick for brick exact and then I went through and documented on Facebook and took the photos of mine compared to the photos you know with the same lighting in the actual um, ideas book and that was a that was my high point of Lego creativity recently well in the last couple of years because I finally had that theatre and I had all the lighting rigs put in it and it was how I wanted it as a kid and it still holds much fascination much fascination <laughs> well listen well, we'll keep talking Lego here but we're going to listen to another track this is FM84 from the lovely album Atlas and this is Tears.
And that was Tears by the wonderful FM84. And if you dig that, you should check out my interview with FM84 from episode 63 of Beyond Synth. But right now, we are back with Rick Shithouse from Synthetics. We're talking about Lego right now. And uh, and you're happy because you just recreated this thing from your childhood. I was going to say that the thing that pissed me off when I was building my Millennium Falcon was when I bought this fucking 100 pounds of Lego from this dude, I'm going to say like 20 pounds of it was like Bionicle. Oh, garbage. Now, garbage. And But there was also these kind of weird pieces that, look, I liked Lego when I was a kid a lot. Mm. We had like a bin of Lego, fine. And then maybe, you know, in the early 90s, I stopped uh, playing with Lego. So I got a few kits in the early 90s, some wizard sets and a, like a kind of a spaceman set. And that was it. Oh, yeah. The castle sets in the early 90s were very nice. Absolutely. And so I stopped Lego after that point and didn't really buy any new Lego. I had a cousin who, had, who was young, so he got some new Lego. I got to see some pirate ship things and stuff that was sort of like after my time so since then they've obviously created a lot of strange custom pieces that i didn't realize were lego absolutely one of those pieces was the fucking cockpit from the millennium falcon so (laughs) and i only found that out now as i was building the millennium falcon i'm building i'm like oh this is coming around pretty good and then i finally see like the the glass dome for the um the top of the cockpit Mm -hmm. realizing that i had sold it to somebody in a bag full of bionicles because when i saw that thing i'm like well, this isn't fucking Lego. Oh, no. Like, what the fuck is this fucking thing? Like, it doesn't... Th- that piece Terrible. doesn't have any, like, noticeable, like, stud points on it. Oh, there's a lot of that crap. Because it basically just sort of, like, clicks into the, the other cockpit piece. So, I don't have it anymore. And then I built the Falk, and I'm like, oh, fuck me. Like, I had the piece. Like, it oh, pissed me off. I don't know if you've seen, like, new Lego. Oh, I've seen new Lego. I know I hate it for a reason. It's a lot lighter. Like, they've changed the formula. They switched factories a couple of years ago, and it makes a huge difference. Yeah, they're much lighter. I mean, they still click nicely. I actually find that new Lego, I think, actually clicks together firmer, but it's also lighter. That's more because it's newer than anything else as well. Yeah, maybe that's it, yeah. And and the heads are hollow, so you can't really have, like, bald Lego men anymore because they just have a hole in their head, so you have to put something on. The simplification of pieces as well, uh, I really don't enjoy that whole, you know, you're building a car, and here's the chassis with all four wheels attached as one piece. It's like, come on. Even the Lego men come, like, built, where like, all you have to do is put the head on and click the hand. No, you don't even have to click the hands in. No, the hands are already in there, absolutely. They're all, yep, it's all done for you. It's a different mentality these days for Lego, I think. It's more license. As soon as they got the Harry Potter license in 2008 or 9, whenever the fuck Harry Potter came out, I'm like, right, that's the end of Lego as we know it. And sure (laughs) enough, you know, it's all been licensing since then. You know, I stopped collecting Lego about 82, 83, when I was a kid. Then I got back into it in the 90s. Me and a couple of friends were like, we should start collecting Lego. And we're all, like, you know, single with income. <laughs> and in the space of three months, we spent something like $12,000 between us on Lego sets. There's this insane amount of peer pressure to get all these hot sets. And this was about 97, 98. And there's, I managed to get the, you know, um, the Redbeard run of the classic pirate ship I always wanted. I got a lot of the castle stuff from that period as well. Uh, there was this really cool undersea adventure type sets that came out around that time and the main thing that got me back into Lego 
was they started doing this Lego Adventurers set, which was essentially Indiana Jones without the fucking license. Mm-hmm. And they did these pyramids and sphinxes and all these jungle ones and all these Mayan adventures. <laughs> this shit was gold. Like, you know, <laughs> bear in mind, I'm not a kid here. Like, I'm, I was like 28 or something or something when this, or 30 when this stuff came out. And I was I was loving it. We were buying shit left, right and center. And then the oversimplification came in the early 2000s of pieces and I'm like, yeah, you're losing me here. And they started abandoning the town and city stuff, which was almost my favorite space at that stage was definitely off the limits. That was absolute garbage. I started turning things into insects and things. Yeah. Um, and then all the extra bionicle shit and mind storms came in. And, you know, that's... It's for another generation. It's not for me. I've got no right to complain, so... It's interesting, but yeah, because like, cause I was watching a documentary on Lego and I never realized it, but yeah, like... It's that licensing that really gave the company like that second wind because it was oh, absolutely it was dying a downturn. So it it oh, was a necessary thing for the company, but at the same time, it doesn't have the same magic. Like when I go back and uh, I just love pieces. I love the bricks. Um, I love like making castles. You know, that's when yeah. I started um, doing the licensing. I think the Harry Potter was first, and I think Star Wars was second. And I'm like, oh my god, I'm going to be able to get Star Wars Lego finally. And then when it came out, it was these oversimplified, and it was all the shit. New movies as well, mm-hmm. and like you know, it was all, and then they started doing the classic series, and I'm like, oh, the chances of getting you know having a couple of Lego Stormtroopers, and then oh, we've got to get the Lego Vader for that, and oh, I could probably get that tie for, and I'm like, okay, this is a slippery, slippery slope, and and I kind of stopped right there because the I wasn't getting, I was getting, it was hitting me in the nostalgia, right, big and deep in the nostalgia, mm-hmm. but I wasn't getting the nostalgia in the Lego. It was like, man, this is not feeling like the old Lego to me. Yeah, and that's when the the romance kind of finished, and then it wasn't until like so through four years ago and I went back and got all the original 70s and 80s um, space and town sets so but my love affair with Lego is very much uh, I get tempted by things like I got given one of those creator sets have you seen those ridiculously expensive creator sets they release every year there's like a, a main street town they're releasing um, and they've done like a bank and they've done like a town hall oh yes yes all, yes the modular ones we have a Lego store in Toronto and it's hilarious because they don't actually put price tags on anything <laughs> you can't afford this yeah, I love <laughs> going into that store just because I'll see like the Ghostbusters fire hall. Yes, exactly. And there's no price tag and I go online and find out that it is fucking $400. Exactly. It's crazy. $400 fucking and the, the Death Star oh, the God, Death yes. Star costs a th- like it's like 900 bucks. Yeah, that's it's it's a terrible situation to get into it as an adult collector. But I got, <laughs> I got given one of those creator sets uh, for Christmas one year from a mate. Shit, it's the French restaurant the Le Parisian the, the French restaurant they made and when I built that I got it for Christmas and after Christmas while I was on holidays I was building it I'm like oh man oh they've got like a pet shop and they've got like a little um, two story townhouse and they got this and I'm like oh I can make a whole city stretch along of this and oh my god look how they did this kitchen area and I'm like this is like it was like a really pure evolution of the original 70s and 80s stuff and it was taken with as few shortcuts as possible in the building but with the most creativity possible like using pieces for curtains that were never meant to be curtains but when they're built they look exactly like fucking curtains and I was I was so enamoured with this Parisian cafe I, I literally put like 40 photos on Facebook as I was building it <laughs> and I thought okay this is here comes the slippery slope it's just around the corner and I thought if I start collecting these because these things are like 300 bucks when they come out mm. and then they go up in prices they're retired and I'm like there's at least two of these I'd have to have that are already retired that are pushing 800 900 dollars in the second hand market and I'm like I cannot afford to spend 900 
dollars online, like I said, and that was where I decided to cut it right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, if I if I won the lottery, one of the things I would do is just buy like a dump truck of bricks. It would be nice. Just have a basement just full of Lego bricks, like just everywhere, and just like tables. Like that would be so awesome. Absolutely, absolutely. But you would actually need to win the lottery because, like, at the Lego store, you can buy little like yogurt sized containers of you know you can just pick whatever bricks you want and put them in these little tubs. Oh, rock and roll. Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's a cool idea, <laughs> but it's like, it's not very cost effective. This is where Bricklink for me became my savior and nemesis together because Bricklink is essentially just eBay for Lego. And when I made a Bricklink account when I was going through building all this town stuff, oh my God, the lure of picking up those pieces that you knew you lost when you were six years old and getting 30 of them because you're never going to lose them again. <laughs> all of a sudden, you got these ridiculous orders of parts coming and saying, why the fuck have I got 40 antennas now? But yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> like, as soon as you get into Bricklink, that's the cocaine a toy collecting right there. Yeah. Once you're on there, it is awfully hard to get off. It is awfully hard. Well, <laughs> speaking of getting off, let's listen to another track. <laughs> so this is... <laughs> There's a segue. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, we got a segue out of this conversation because we're, we're out of time. And we, uh, we still got a bunch of shit to talk about. So we're going to listen to a cool song by Gunship and we'll resume this shithouse shit show next week. <laughs> so this is Maximum Black by Gunship.
All right, and that was part one of my chat with Rick Shithouse. Stay tuned for part two, where we resume exactly where we left off, like a very exciting cliffhanger. I want to thank you guys for listening to the show, and uh, I'll catch you next week. Hopefully there won't be another technical difficulty delay, and I say catch you next week, and then next week happens and there's no episode. I always seem to put my foot in my mouth. I'm very careful always to say catch you next episode just in case there's a delay so that it's not me saying next week and then nothing happens but I feel like if I ever say next week that's when something goes wrong so that it's like ah, I screwed up anyways uh, don't forget to uh, do the magic sword contest as well and uh, that's it man that's it for me so tune in next week or next time <laughs> to beyond Sith. I'm